Good morning. We are in the Advent season. Advent means we're waiting for a significant person. Uh, we're celebrating Advent as a church. The church universal is celebrating Advent two ways. One, what the nativity birth of Christ meant. So the, the facts, how it helps with hope, how it helps with joy, how it helps with peace, and how it helps with love. The church, as we are standing here today, is actually perpetually in a state of Advent. So when Christ went up to heaven, as he ascended to heaven, that started the last days. And we are now waiting uh, for Christ to return. So we celebrate Advent, we're doing it twofold. The birth of a king, the announcement of the king at Christmas time, and then we're in this state where we're waiting for the return of the king. We're looking at hope. Uh, we're looking at joy today. We looked at hope last week. A quick recap of hope. We looked at hope before Christ, which meant that God was going to send a Savior. God has promises throughout the Old Testament. His promises were, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And we see some more specifics on that in Genesis 12 and 17. So, the whole of God's people were waiting for this perfect offspring that was going to be blameless and walk before the Lord. We then looked at hope with Christ. Uh, that is that the king has come. There's an opportunity for redemption. There's an opportunity to move out of this state of fallenness and move into that state of being in a right relationship with God. And then there's hope in Christ. So when we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are in him. We're no longer in Adam, we're no longer in Abraham, we are in Jesus. At the same point, he is in us. So not only did God promise to be uh, our people, or our God, and we would be his people, he actually comes and lives within us. So hope in Christ, there's three types of hope. There's a living hope, the Holy Spirit, God himself lives in us. There's eternal hope. We hope that day where we'll be with God eternally. And then there is a certain hope. It's not kind of like a possible thing. It's not a probable thing. It's a certain hope uh, in Christ of that eternal life with God. And it's based in God's character. And it's based on God's faithfulness. It's not based on our circumstances. The other thing I learned last week, uh, I don't know if you know, I've got many years disease which causes hearing loss. Last week, I'd been nine days of abject silence. It's the worst hearing loss I'd ever had. A lot of it was caused by two ear infections in both, a double ear infection in both ears. And it was completely silent. Lots of people prayed for me. Um, and what I was aware as I was leaving church was, where there is love, there is hope. I didn't want to come to church because I couldn't hear anything. But I knew I needed it. And when people prayed for me, I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I felt deep love, deep uh, hope that things were going to be better. At uh, 5 o'clock on Sunday, my hearing popped back to normal, so I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> Although normal for me <laughs> is uh, not that hot, but I'm very grateful just for, for the love that people showed and how when there's love, there's hope. In the same way, where there's love, there is joy. We'll be looking today at joy, uh, joy before Christ, joy with Christ, and then again, joy in Christ. I'm going to look, when we're looking at joy with Christ, the nativity, 
there's a very, very romantic view of the nativity, which is deeply unhelpful for real life. And I'm going to give the realistic view of the nativity when I talk about joy with Christ. And as I talk about being in Christ, we'll look at that joy is, it is well with my soul. It's not this kind of maniacal, ha, 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 woo! Uh, That's not joy. Joy is this deep sense of belonging, a deep sense of it being well with our soul. Well, thank you for praying, Kara. I'm not going to because you did such a good job. Quick thing, this joy before Christ is going to be the, the quicker part. In the Old Testament, the Psalms are a great example of joy. There are many different ones. There's lament psalms, there's praise psalms, there's petition psalms. But within these praise ones, there's joy psalms. And specifically, uh, it's uh, when people are encountering God, when they're aware of his goodness, as they look back on their, how God delivered them from the past, let's say the uh, Israelites were delivered from Egypt, or how God's actively present in their lives at the moment. They sing uh, psalms of praise. There's great joy in them. David himself uh, had joyful psalms in relation to deliverance from his enemies, being in God's presence, and understanding that God was God. That even in the midst of David being an adulterer, even in the midst of him making so many mistakes, that God was going to bring the best king. And so there was joy there as well. Uh, In the Old Testament, two things that believers or God's people contemplated. So this means what they were thinking about. They looked at what God had done in the past, and then they were looking at the salvation he was going to bring in the future, the salvation and the promise of God's presence. So they were looking at redemption and salvation to give them joy, and they were looking at restoration to give them joy. Now, in the Old Testament, imagery of joy, threefold. Uh, a wedding feast or a wedding banquet. That's imagery to describe joy. Another one, like a military victory. And the third one, which we're going to look at more today, is childbirth. I am going to give a real in-depth account of the birth of my oldest child. No, I'm not Jess. Sorry, just joking. <laughs> she, she looked up horrified. Uh, now we look at joy with Christ. In the In the gospel accounts, as we hear the nativity story, there is great joy. We sang, hark the herald angels sing. It's glory to the newborn king. It's rise all you nations and be joyful. The king has come. God's kingdom is starting. Redemption is beginning. And we see uh, these in the gospel accounts. In Luke 1.4, I'm just going to go through these quickly. Uh, We see in Luke Matthew, Mark, Luke, Bible the right way round, not upside down, and Luke is somewhere in the Bible. Yes, it's here. Uh, (laughs) There's great joy at the birth of John the Baptist. There's great joy at the birth of John the Baptist because we know it's going to prefigure, he's going to lead the way for Christ to come. Uh, Verse 14 is the joyful one, but I'll just read it within context. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, 
and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So already in the build-up to Jesus' birth, there's great joy that redemption is coming. Luke 2.10, uh, it's uh, the birth of Jesus has been foretold. We join the action at some shepherds. Uh, the Verse 10 is the joyful one, but I'll just put it in context. So after the birth of Christ, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And finally, in Matthew as well, uh, different gospel writers highlight different things. It's not that they're inaccurate. They just want to emphasize different things. And Matthew, Luke emphasizes the joy of the shepherds. Matthew emphasizes the joy of the magi or the wise people. And it's Matthew 2.10. So again, this is great joy. The king has been born. God's kingdom is here. Redemption that God has promised is happening. When he said, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, it's starting. Uh, Verse 10, again, the joyful one, but I'll put it in context, reading from verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route, not route. Uh, There is great joy in the nativity accounts because the king is coming. And you'll see in art, visual art and paintings, that they try and reflect that joy of nativity. Specifically, some really fun ones to look at from the Renaissance period. Just Google Renaissance nativity scene. It's 13th century to the 15th century. They wanted to play with light and glory, all these different things. But it's the most unrealistic pictures of the nativity. It gives a completely false view of the joy of the birth of Christ. Uh, It's almost like this is huge, if you look at any of the imagery, it's this huge hallelujah. There's a heavenly host everywhere, cherubs, kings bowing down. Uh, There's a whole host of people kind of lining up to see Jesus. You'll even see the infant Jesus in some of them just sitting on his mum's lap and 
blessing people as a brand newborn baby would do. Uh, so it's kind of like Jesus is holding court in this heavenly throng. And there's exotic animals there as well. Have a look. You will see a peacock in one of them. There is this, just this imagery of, look at the nativity. Now, clearly, they were trying to emphasize something. I want to be uh, fair to the Renaissance painters. The context was the majesty of the birth of Christ. So, yes, it was significant and sacred, and they represent that well. But it was horribly unrealistic. And as believers, as we look at that nativity scene and think that should represent the joy in my life, this kind of peaceful, harmonious, heavenly atmosphere. It's deeply unhelpful. So you have the romantic view of the birth of Christ. I'm going to give you the realistic view. It's going to start with who Mary and Joseph were and the journey. Mary was 12 to 14. Joseph was likely 19. Just think that through a moment. And they're trying to tell people it's an immaculate conception. Oh, really, Joseph? It's a very, very distressful time for them. At nine months pregnant, I've known my wife Shelley three times at being nine months pregnant. There is a great sense of, can this be over and done with? There's also a great sense of profound discomfort. At nine months, Mary has to go on a 90-mile journey because of a Roman census. It's a 90-mile journey on a donkey I have done a couple of pony treks in my time, and within an hour, I am severely done with the whole thing. Uh, she was going 10 miles a day, 10 miles a day, all day. Joseph walking alongside her, a 19-year-old leading a 12 to 14-year-old, nine months pregnant. Extreme discomfort. The weather, it was wintertime. It meant it was in the 30s during the day, heavy, miserable rain. And at nighttime, it was freezing. The track that they were on, very, very hilly. It wasn't a well-trodden path. There was no actual paving or anything. What they were doing, they're going south along the flatlands of the Jordan River. And then they went over the hills west surrounding Jerusalem and then on to Bethlehem. So it's not this nice little path that they're walking along. It was a brutal trek. Nine months pregnant, horrific weather, up and down, up and down. And if that wasn't enough, there were lots of dangers along the way as well. Bandits would often uh, rob people. That's why people traveled in caravans at a time. So they're walking this journey. It was miserable. Even though they're going to give birth to a savior, there's this, what is this kind of element going on? Uh, and here's an even better one. <laughs> In the heavenly forested valley of the Jordan River, there were bears, lions, and wild boars. So you put all this journey together, and it, uh, yeah, we're going to avoid the bandits. It's getting towards dusk, and you hear a slight roar behind you. It was just not a good experience for anyone. As you can just imagine it, it, it was horrific. Now, the gospel writers don't emphasize this. They just wanted to emphasize, okay, there is a coming king. But this romantic view of the joy that we have in the life of following God in, tr in trust should not be based on a Renaissance painting of the nativity. 
there's a reality uh, to this world, and it does not get any better on arrival. So uh, 90 miles along, traveling for nine days, tradition is you'd stay at the house of relatives. Mary and Joseph do not do this. It means one of two things. They didn't have any relatives in Bethlehem, or there was some shame associated with this immaculate conception between teenagers, which most relatives might not believe, and so they weren't able to stay with relatives. So they planned to stay in a simple inn. And as they're walking there, as the census is happening, everywhere is full. Not many people were traveling that far. Not many people were traveling nine months pregnant. But there is no room anywhere. Imagine the conversations going on between Mary and Joseph. Imagine what that felt like. You're coming to the end of your journey, and you're thinking, this is it. But there is no respite. And so there's no inn. It's likely they stayed in a cave. And there would have been animals in there. This is not the best medical care that the ancient Near East had to offer. It is the birth of the king of the world, the king of the universe, and yet it's with animals. No peacocks, sadly, uh, but there would have been probably donkeys. <coughs> donkeys! <coughs> that was my donkey impression. And shh, shh. <laughs> I'm not going to bar. And sheep. Now, if you've been around childbirth, whoo, where's Dave Goodman? He's not here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but whatever you think it's going to be, it's a lot more realistic than what you imagine. Uh, uh, my wife Shelley is in labor with Jessica for just under 24 hours. There was a time in that. Everything went wrong. It normally doesn't, but I thought I was going to lose them both. And there's, this, there's a joy that you're aware that you're going to become a father and this family that you've wanted is going to take shape. And then there's a sense of this could all be taken away from me. And it's very frightening. It's a surreal experience. And the cattle were not lowing. <laughs> there were no peacocks. There were no angels. It was, it was a whole range of emotions. Hope, fear, tiredness, kind of surrealness. I recommend you don't try laughing gas if you're the husband. Um, <laughs> different story, apologies. Uh, we were going for, no, I'm going to say it, I have to explain myself. We were going for a water birth, and they say, hold your plans lightly. In the water birth, in England, I realize now I've moved to America. England is really prehistoric in almost everything. Like I discovered dental floss when I moved to America. There's a whole host of medical things I didn't know you had. But what they gave Shelley for pain relief was laughing gas. And so she's been at the laughing gas for two hours. I am really bored. So I go, can I have a little go? And I, I had a little go. And as I handed it back to her, a nurse walked in. And this smile I couldn't help evaporated on my face. And I went bright red. She goes, you've been having some of the gas, haven't you? <laughs> yep. I did not tell her I was a Christian at that point. But in any case, it, there's... The childbirth is this, it's, it's reality on steroids. It's every emotion magnified. And that was in Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge, which was one of the best uh, hospitals in England. Jesus was born with animals around him. A 12 to 14-year-old giving birth. I can't even begin to imagine the pain. 
with a 19-year-old, exhausted from the traveling by her side. But what happened when, when Jess was born, there was this joy that overcame me. The, the second she was handed to me, it was like I was love-bombed. I remember just welling up with tears. There's this happiness I can't even begin to describe to you, but I still remember the feeling and still feel it today. That would have been the same with Jesus. The joy happened at that moment of birth. Like, here is the king. And yes, people were waiting for a Messiah, waiting for a Savior. But the birth of Christ was incredibly real. It was incredibly painful, bloody, messy, all of the above. And so the childbirth analogy for joy in the Old Testament, the childbirth analogy for joy in the New Testament is really helpful if we don't have this Renaissance romantic version. When I became a Christian, I thought, great, all my dysfunction goes. Wow. Uh, what I learned is I am not going to be vomiting on myself anymore, spiritually, metaphorically, and in reality. But bad things still happen. Suffering still happens. What I found out as a Christian, my tolerance uh, and perception of what was wrong was deeply heightened. So before being a Christian, I didn't know everything was wrong. I didn't know what the world was meant to be like. I didn't know there was hope for anything different. And I didn't really spend much time thinking about it or thinking about other people. But when I became a Christian, as God's Spirit came to live within me, I suddenly saw the world as Christ saw the world. And when you see the, with compassion all the pain that's everywhere, this sense of the pain of life just massively heightened. Massively heightened. And so joy in Christ. I want us to be aware that there is joy in that a Savior has been born. But this Christmas time, it does not mean it's necessarily going to be the most harmonious, joyful time for everyone. For some people, yes. But for some of us, it's not the best time in the world because we're human and we have our own expectations about what things look like. If there's any fault lines in any relationships, they get magnified at Christmas time. And no one told me how messy the birth of Christ was. As a new believer, I thought, great, and now Christmas should be this angelic, peaceful thing. At seminary, I was in a spiritual formation group, and we, walked, uh, we went around the group saying, what are you going to do for Christmas? And one of the leaders started off. She said, uh, well, we start with some psalms, we do some praying, and went on and on and on. And it was this monastic Christmas day. And she ended with psalms and praise. Um, I thought, I just don't want to commit murder. Uh, <laughs> Like, you have little kids running around, you've bought them presents which mean a lot to you, they don't care about them, they just want to do this and do that, and things are burnt and relatives are there. It's just really, really different from the reality. Now, I've learned that in every church there's someone, by God's grace, who's really, really holy and they don't have dysfunction, and they're not lying. But 99% of us, that's not the reality. Um... So heaven's going to be sweeter for us, I'll tell you that much. So joy in Christ is this kind of already, like we have this redemption. We have a down payment of restoration, like Christ is in us, and he's transforming us.
But be aware some of that transformation looks like seeing the world through his eyes, having a heightened perception of suffering, having a heightened perception of pain in people's lives. Now, the kingdom is already not yet. Luke, interestingly, he starts off saying it's joy, joy at John being born, uh, joy with the shepherds. He ends his gospel with joy at Jesus' ascension. I'll quickly read that to you now. It's Luke 24, 52. Again, just trying to give us a realistic biblical view of joy. So joy is at the, the arrival of a king. And joy is at the promise of his return. So Christ is saying, I'm going to ascend to heaven. The last days are starting. I've revealed all of the scriptures to you and how I'm a yes and an amen to them all. You're thinking, is this too good to be true? And then he goes up. So they're rejoicing like, oh, he was really telling the truth. So uh, Luke 24, verse 52. I'm going to read from verse 50 on. Uh, When he had left them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. There is a joy in recalling redemption. There's a joy at being saved. I remember when I suddenly found out that God was real and I was forgiven and I didn't need to be afraid of death. I, for months, I felt like a death row prisoner that had just received a pardon. There was that great joy. But as life happens, there's times when you really do not feel that joy. But you can recall what God did in the past. The other times we experience joy is when the restoration, so full restoration looks like eternity in heaven. When restoration, when heaven invades earth, that's when we get joy again. At 5 p.m., when my hearing came back on Sunday, I looked like a drunk leprechaun with a pot of gold. It's like this cloud of depression disappeared. It's like, Jamie, Jamie, let's wrestle. Let's do this. Woo, woo, woo. That that lasted a short time, thankfully. He thought daddy was weird. Um, But there is this joy when restoration breaks in. There's joy as well. But the Christian life is not one of overflowing with joy. That happens in heaven. The Christian life is not one of being a massive extrovert and an optimist. When I said you describe Jesus, if you read the gospel accounts, what are some of the words that come to you for Jesus? What are some of the descriptive words? I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be happy-go-lucky, real optimist. The Pharisees wouldn't have said he was a great encourager. No one said a really big extrovert. It's none of those things. The king of heaven and earth was described as a man of sorrows. So yes, there are times when he's with his father that he re-feels that joy. But between redemption... And restoration, it's not a perpetual, optimistic, extroverted thing. Jesus saw the way the world was and how it's not meant to be that way. He saw so many people lost and struggling that didn't know the promise that God said, I will be your God 
and you will be my people. And it's even better than that. He's going to come and live within them. Live within them. That's so much better than just being some distant God and you're my people. And so Jesus felt the pain of all of this. If you read the accounts before he does healings, he sees the crowds and has compassion on them. As he's entering Jerusalem, he wept for her. He wanted to be protective like a mother hen over her chicks. And so as we approach Christmas 2018, there is tremendous joy when we are in the presence of God. You'll see joyful behavior in this congregation. You'll see me joyful on a Sunday in here. That does not mean I carry on like that throughout the week. And it's not to be uh, a bad Christian. It's not because I'm not trying hard enough. Just not always aware of the presence of God. Not always aware of the love of his people. There's a busyness to stuff. There's a wading through the parenting three children and the foolishness of buying three chihuahuas on a weekly basis. So I want to have a realistic view of joy. You'll see joy here. You'll see people raise their hands. You'll see people dancing. They're encountering the presence of God. When I encounter the presence of God, I sit still. I don't know why. I, I don't really jump up. I kind of just feel very safe, like I'm really belonging. You'll see me uh, very, very calm. That is another way of expressing joy. Does that make sense? What I'm hoping to do is give a biblical view of joy. And as I studied joy, it does not say anywhere in the Bible two words that lots of Christians say. Choose joy. I can't tell you how many web pages and blogs I found that said that. It does not say choose joy anywhere. There's different types of joy. There's joy at the gospel. There's joy in community with one another. There's joy at it being well with our soul. There's joy in the assurance of salvation. There's joy in the assurance of being God's beloved child. But there's never this, hey, let's choose joy. What there is, is there's joy in God's presence. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So if we pursue God, if we pursue his presence, joy will increase as will goodness and kindness, all of those things. Uh, when Shelley was giving birth to Jessica, I did not say, choose joy. <laughs> I, I was wise enough not to do that. And, and so if you know someone who is going for a really rough time this Christmas, please don't say to them, choose joy. That is like saying to someone, why don't you just write when they have a pen with no ink in it? Now, you're going to make them feel terrible. What you can say, you can love on them, you can care for them, you can pray them into the presence of God. But it's not a case of just snapping out of it. Does that make sense? Not tr I just want to get rid of this Christian false view of the romantic nature of nativity, this false view of, I am the happiest, most extroverted, optimistic person because I'm a Christian. No, God gives everyone different personality types. I came to faith almost because of someone's personality type. I work with this guy, super relaxed, super funny, super humble, really kind of wanted to be him. And I thought, what is it that he has? 
So when he invited me to a church event, I wanted to go. I later found out, having become a Christian, oh, that was his personality type. That wasn't the Christian faith. Does that make sense? Think of all the theologians who are introverts, who spend time by themselves but with God. They're not being bad Christians because they're not being energetic and optimistic and extroverted. Does that make sense? Good. Uh, There is joy uh, when we're in God's presence. We get a little foretaste of it in the here and now. Uh, There's joy when we gather together. There's joy when we pursue God, whether that's Bible reading or prayer or community or serving or worship. There's joy at redemption. When someone discovers that they have been saved, that there is hope and that a God who loves them has completely forgiven them, and that he is faithful and good and will fulfill his promise. That is really good news if you are good at messing things up like I was. So there is that joy. There's a lot of joy in heaven at redemption. Scriptures say that when a sinner comes to faith, uh, there's great rejoicing in the heavens. Jesus tells three parables where the response of a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son is tremendous joy. So there is great overflow of joy and love in heaven when we come to faith. We have a down payment of that with the Holy Spirit living within us. But we're still in this already, like the kingdom's here, the king has come, but not yet, as in he's coming back again. We will overflow with joy in God's presence, completely overflow, because we've been fully restored. But in the here and now, it's not a guarantee all of the time. Does that make this like this uh, deep sense of satisfaction and contentment? Biblical joy is it is well with my soul. Many accounts, even in Philippians and others, where in suffering, the Apostle Paul encourages other Christians to say, have joy. He says, I have great joy in you. I have great joy in how you're doing this. I have great joy as I pray for you. What he's meaning is it's okay. It's well with your soul. So even in the midst of suffering, you might be in the midst of depression, might be in the midst of ill health, but there is a deep contentment that is well with your soul. It doesn't always feel like that. You may be in the biggest, strongest castle. When a hurricane's coming, there might be a bit of nervousness, like how is this going to hold out? The hurricane passes, nothing happens. You're like, well, of course, it's fine. It's kind of like that when it's well with your soul. Nothing can harm your soul. When suffering comes your way, you're a bit kind of nervous, like, what does this mean? And then when it passes, it's like, what was I ever worried about? So take heart, it is well with your soul. Joy is an assurance of salvation. Joy is an assurance of God's goodness. Joy is based on the hope. Joy is based on love. God's living within us. There's an eternal promise to come. That gives us just enough energy to get through the day for some of us. Others, it makes us deliriously happy. And then there's a certain hope, there's a certain joy that all of the troubles of this world would be like a teardrop in an ocean of bliss being in God's presence. 
all of those insecurities, uncertainties, doubts about identity will just completely disappear. And it'll be absolute heaven. Application. Uh, we can be a little bit individualistic, or I can be individualistic. Uh, so I'm going to do individual and communal application for what it means, like the joy of the nativity, and then how it's almost like childbirth. Uh, there's moments, a whole range of emotions, but that full, complete overflow of joy doesn't happen until we meet God face to face. Some of these applications I'm getting from the Old Testament, uh, when they... Uh, experience joy, and some are specifically Jesus' discourse, uh, John 15 to 17. He's telling his disciples he's about to go. He specifically says, you will grieve. It's like childbirth. Read it, and he's saying, abide in me. That means persevere in me, and he says, and I will persevere in you. Uh, so here, here they are. Uh, there's the promise of redemption, if you haven't yet put your faith and trust in Christ, you will never regret it. Never regret it. Ask him for the complete forgiveness of your sins. And then commit to living for him. Some of us feel a strong, uh, tangible feeling. I did. I know other people. It's more of a, this gradual road to Emmaus kind of conversion. Just over time, they realize who Jesus is. Uh, when we're delivered from sin, we're delivered from the penalty, as in eternal death. We're delivered from the power. But we're not delivered from the presence of sin. Does that make sense? So take heart. It is well with your soul. But yes, we're seated in the heavenly realms metaphorically. It says this in Ephesians. What it means is like that's a, that's a guarantee, we're seated in the heavenly realms, but this Christmas time, our legs probably dangle in a fallen world. <laughs> seated in the heavenly realms, our legs probably dangle in a fallen world. So hang in there with restoration. Encourage others to hang in there with restoration. Where I taught at the end of Philippians, uh, at the end of James, like, if some people cannot experience God, please represent him to them. Please, like, pray them into God's presence. Care for them into God's presence. But restoration takes time. And you're not alone. So hang in there. God is living within you, whether you're fully aware of it or not, if you've put your faith and trust in him. So we can pursue God's presence, uh, things we can do. We can meditate on God's character. Uh, we did that in, in the song, God, you are so good. We can meditate on his love. Bible reading, Bible contemplation, fantastic. Prayer, speaking prayer, listening prayer, fantastic. But all of them are means to experience uh, the relationship with God. So pursue that relationship with God. And if it's hard for someone you know, pursue them as God would. Uh, we can also meditate on, not just on God's love, but his provision in the past. And we can meditate on his faithfulness and what that provision will mean in the future. Using my hearing as an analogy, 
Uh, whenever I lose my hearing, I get real panicked real quick, and I am not joyful. Uh, when my hearing comes back, that restoration comes, I'm joyful for a period. But the thing that means I can get through each and every day is I know God is good. I know I have a wife and a family who love me. I know I have a church who loves me. It makes everything worthwhile. And I know I am going to hear like a peregrine falcon in the afterlife. <laughs> I'm going to hear, and it's going to be so nice to hear the heavenly host praising God. It'd be so nice to join in with that worship and not be afraid of, am I even singing in time? I'm always nervous, like it's well with my soul. I'm going, oh, happy day, happy day. Sometimes you have no idea what's happening. And so you'll see me, I'll, I'll raise my arms in adoration, but very rarely will you actually hear me saying anything. Because I, I, uh, anyway. <laughs> but the hope of restoration can cause future joy. It doesn't mean I'm ecstatic in the here and now, but it means there's enough joy and there's enough hope that I have in Christ. There's enough love that I have in Christ that will see me through. So instead of choosing joy, there's another way uh, that's much more gracious that we can say this. It's practice gratitude. So look at what God has done and thank him. Look at what God is doing and thank him. Look at what God is going to do and thank him. When my hearing's really bad, my family have good health. I can be really, really grateful for that. There's so many things around us that we can be grateful for. So practice gratitude. It doesn't mean, uh, I, when I was in a deep depression, people were saying to me, just be thankful. Look at everything that's around you. That didn't help. I felt worse. Like, what's wrong with me? I can't even be thankful. I'm a bad believer. But what it actually, just be, uh, be so loving and caring that people that can't experience joy are grateful for you. Does that make sense? We are representing God's love to that person. And so extend grace to people. Uh, Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything. In childbirth, there's a time for great joy. Different seasons of life, there's a time for mourning. It's a time for singing. I haven't watched Footloose in a while, so I can't remember the rest of them. Uh, never mind. <laughs> uh, extend grace to people. We can't force people to move from grief into joy. But we can love them every single step of the way. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We would love to be praying for you. Uh, actually, before I do that, a good way of sharing joy with people who do not yet know it is to invite them to our Christmas services. You have smaller invites here. You have larger ones here that you can put up in coffee shops. Uh, a way that you can be a joyful presence is to love someone enough that you're investing in them. To love someone enough, it's really easy to invite them to a Christmas service where they will hear of the redemption. But we would love to pray for you. God heals in lots of different ways. Uh, a really good answer prayer for me last week. We would love to partner with you in your healing journey. Some people, God just brings out restoration right here and now. 
For others, it takes time. Help us to walk on those steps to wholeness with you. That's what we would love to do. And as we were praying and trying to listen to God before the service, uh, we felt a couple of things. Uh, One, restoration within marriages. Just felt there was a sense that that should be happening. Another one, it would be restoration socially. We weren't entirely sure what that meant, but it's like feeling like you belong. If there's any disconnect, if there's any uh, relational discrepancies that allow us to pray for you. God may heal you now, but we would love to be on that journey of helping you take steps by praying for you and continuing to pray for you. Friends, will you stand as I close us with prayer? Lord Jesus, you are the true source of joy. We have great joy this Christmas time. You are the King, Lord, but we also know you're the risen King, and so we have joy to look forward to at the future. But help us not to have a romantic view of joy that doesn't tally with the Bible. Help us have a biblical view of joy. And Lord, as we follow you, as we're disciples of you, Help us to love and care for others, Lord, that we can make disciples of them too. Help us to represent you well this Christmas time. In your name's sake, I pray. Amen.